Hello everyone, we're back for another episode of the podcast, and I'm actually included this time. <laughs> <laughs> did you feel slighted? I did. I was really hurt. I'm like, we just put a picture up there, and I'm finally on the cover, and now I'm not even in it. What is this? That's hilarious. No, it was a really good episode with my mom last week. If you missed it, it was honestly so good. So yeah, my name's Rachel. And I am Anna. And make sure to give us a five-star written review. It really helps the podcast more than you know. That's true. We haven't gotten many comments recently. Yeah. So, guys, come on. Comment something. I need a little ego boost, please. Yes. Otherwise, we literally get depressed. So, what was your high and low of the week? My low was that... (laughs) She knows. (laughs) My low was that last week, I was really good at exercising every day. But then this week, I didn't. So it's like, I need to be more consistent. And I kind of prioritized working after work instead of like um, exercising, which I need to find a better balance of schedule. So maybe like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I exercise and then Tuesday, Thursday, I edit or something because right now it's like either all or nothing. I either edit or work out, but this week I like edited every day except for yesterday. So I need to be like balanced on both. My high, I honestly can't think of one. So here's a high. You saw me this week at the doctor's office. That's true. I was there at my mom's getting a facial and, <laughs> and then Anna walks in. But Loki, I already checked the schedule. That's why I went that day to see you. I saw you were going to be there because you put it on your story. And I almost texted you and was like, hey, stay. But I, was like, I don't want to make her mad. I feel like she needs to stay. <laughs> no, of course I stayed. Well, I don't know what time you normally leave. And I didn't want you to stay. I just stayed an hour extra just wow. for you. Meanwhile, I got off of work an hour early just to go. So <laughs> I was very thrilled by that. Uh, okay, my high for the week is that I got to go to a spin class, which was fun. Actually, the real fun part was that I got to go to the sauna after, and I really started to like the sauna. I hated the sauna until I moved to North Carolina, and I really loved the sauna when I was in North Carolina, and it was really fun to go back into the sauna. With that, the low probably is the same. It was just a really, really busy week, uh, so all of my evenings were filled, which is a good thing, but I also was really thankful last night to get eight hours of sleep, and my watch told me I was well-rested, which normally it doesn't, so that was kind of a nice surprise this morning. Nice. So what do, we, uh, what do we think about this season's Bachelor? I think it's appropriately entertaining. Like, the past ones have kind of been, they try too hard. Like, this feels like an original one, right? Like, the guy is dumb enough and good enough to where you're like, <laughs> you want, like, you're fine with him being dumb and he's, like, good and everything. And then the dates are actually decent now that COVID's more or less over so that they can actually go do things. I feel like this guy is super insecure compared oh, to yeah, others. Oh, sure. Like, he's gotten rejected, what, three times already in the first couple episodes? That's all he wants. Yeah, he's. I just feel bad for him. Like, the first night on The Bachelor, a girl literally said, I don't want to be here. And that's like his first introduction to it. And then, like, I think the next few episodes, like, a girl just, like, drops off on her own. Yeah, it's becoming way too Instagram oriented, you know, getting famous and stuff. So I think it's really hard. Like, five of them have left because they're just fake. So who who are we picking as our winner? Oh, Teddy. Whoever wins gets a hundred bucks. Teddy. Oh wait, is this like whoever gets closer to? So if mine no. is no, you should be. All right. Well, I'm still sticking with Teddy. Teddy is a good bet. I think it's going to be that girl. I don't know. I don't. Not good with names. Susie. That, that girl who looks like that Disney Channel star. Yeah, Susie, the small yeah. Ohio girl. You know what I'm talking about? That show. I don't know what it's oh, called. Cheeks. Yeah. 
I have no idea the show. I'm pretty sure it's Debbie Ryan, but the show? No, the person. The that Disney I'm Channel show. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't watch yeah, DCOM. I think that's who I'm thinking of. But yeah, this season's back. I haven't watched the last few years of The Bachelor, but I used to watch it a lot with Anna in college. And this is my first season back, so she's back. I took a hiatus too, by the way. Uh, I feel like you didn't. I did. The year first two years out of college, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it until last January. It was the first time I watched it since we did. Oh, yeah. A little sabbatical. Yeah. You get, you got the like, you know, you get over it for a little bit, then you come back and it's like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Even AJ's watching it with us now because we all watch it together as a group thing. <laughs> <laughs> and AJ's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. But, but it's kind of fun. I mean, the whole point is you get together, you eat food, you might have a drink or two, and you just bash on people. And that's all it is. Like, that's you don't, true. You're making not fun going of there them. to learn. You're not going... It's to hang out. It's making, a social Making fun of them is the funnest part. The funnest? Yes. Yep. So this word's vocab week is... <laughs> Rachel uh, picked it. No, I didn't. <laughs> I know. You say it. You say it correctly. Apodictic, which Apodictic. means to clearly establish or beyond dispute. I imagine it's legally used. An example, though, is... Are you going to keep saying it? <laughs> I can claim apodictic. I get really annoyed when you interrupt me, and I wish that you would <laughs> I can claim apodictic abilities once I receive my certification in electrical engineering. It's How do you spell it? Spelled A P O D I dick dick. Uh, I need to like find Sorry, better words I'm too. Really immature. It's A P O D I C T I C. You would think it was apodictic, but it's apodictic. Let me think of how I can use this word. Um, it's almost like dogmatic. Like you have natural. It's already there. It's never, you can't be disputed. It's been there throughout time. So I, like I my, ath- my athletic abilities are like apodictic. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> good example. So, okay, cool. I mean, you're moving five days a week sometimes. So yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm right all the time. 50% of the time. Yeah, that's an accurate stat. Yeah. Oh, can I change my high? Actually, I got a new running conversion this week. What does that even mean? I had a new person run with me and they didn't hate it. So, oh, I think that's it was an Amber. No, but she's next. She is on my list. Who was it? This is a church friend okay. and she liked it. So I was like, she also, I guess, started dying at the end, but she said we we're going to do it again. Wow. So, okay. Making converts out here. Yeah. That's impressive. Thank you. Okay, so I'd like to publicly apologize to Anna on the podcast for saying that Succession... Thank you. <laughs> for saying that Succession is a bad show. The first three episodes, you have to admit, they were really dry. Like I'm telling you, all my favorite TV shows are about character development. So, of course, the first couple episodes are going to be boring. You yeah. have to learn. So, we just finished season two. We're on season three, which I believe is the last season that's out right now. And we are obsessed. AJ and I are obsessed. But the other night, he just told me that he's not going to watch it with me anymore because he already looked up the ending which he always does he ruins every <sighs> show and then he's like i'm not gonna watch it i already know what happens but i'm like why do you do that like just oh, don't you have to watch it though it's no, so, the I, way in which it's done is amazing i'm gonna watch it i told him do not tell me but even him he needs to it's like artfully done i'm gonna force him he just i just get so frustrated <laughs> when he does this because he ruins it like that's what we were doing for fun for the past like two weeks and now he's like nope I already know what happens. I'm like, great. But yeah, it's a great show. It's on HBO Max. It's about kids who work for their dad. And it's just the funniest, most also serious thing ever. It's a little crude. So that's my PSA for that. I will yeah. say. It's, it's a like a dark humor sometimes, but it's so good. So while I was watching... <sighs> 
Shiv, which is one of the characters, Siobhan. brought up a prenup to her soon-to-be husband. And it just brought to my attention the idea of prenups, which are premarital agreements where you decide who gets what if you divorce. Do you have one? I do not. Okay. So the I wanted to talk to Anna about it and like see do if we I have one. <laughs> <laughs> do we agree as Christians and or not Christians, just regular people, do we agree with prenuptial agreements? Do we think they're useful? Do we think they're stupid? And why? You go first. Okay, I have two perspectives on this. I would say if I'm a bajillionaire and I'm not a Christian and I'm marrying someone, then I'm probably going to get a prenup. However, personally, I don't think so because of how I view marriage that you would need a prenup. If you don't trust someone enough with your finances, then you probably should not be marrying them. So... You said bajillionaire, but most people aren't. So let's say like a normal person listening, maybe they have a little bit more saved up than their spouse does for whatever reason. I, I cannot imagine going into a marriage and being concerned that like finances, like they would not have a, an appreciation for mine or that they would steal it. Like I would just not. Yeah. If you have those concerns, I would be like red flags before even getting married. Yeah. But that's from a Christian standpoint of marriage that I could see how in a worldly standpoint, a prenup would be a good move. Right. And that's not to say that Christian marriages don't fail. It's just to say that, like, you go into it with, like, this is lifelong. Mind. Yeah, exactly. And if we get divorced, like, we have bigger issues in life than, like, yeah. you stealing the $10,000 that I had yeah. more than you at the beginning. It, it's it's controversial. It's really controversial. Um, luckily, AJ and I didn't have that problem. And so we didn't see the need for multiple reasons. One was religious. The other one was, like, we literally don't have any money anyway. So it's, like, Let's there's no point. zero by two. <laughs> and then once you're married, I don't know if this is true, but when your parents give you an inheritance, if you're already married, like what's what's mine is his anyway because of the marriage. Yeah, are you talking about if you had a prenup or not? I don't know. Like I if think I you had could a- write it so that anything that came from like a trust fund or anything like that would still be directed. Oh, okay. I think you could legally construct it in a way where that would only go to you. Okay, because that would make me do a double take. If I was not a Christian, I probably would be like, that's a smart move, you know? That's Just being honest. Yeah. If you have a lot of money coming in, I see the rationale behind it, but the other half is like, that's why I'm saying it kind of depends on your perspective of marriage, is what I would say. Yeah. It is kind of scary to just go into a marriage knowing that maybe you do have an inheritance coming or maybe you are a little bit more wealthy than your partner. It is kind of scary. So I could totally see the the desire for that. I don't think it's necessarily right or wrong. I just think it's different people, maybe with different religions, have different views on marriage. I have a question. Do you guys have shared finances, like bank accounts, credit cards? Yes. We do. So that's also me, another thing. That's the same level of risk exposure as like a potential inheritance coming in. Yeah, because they say if you want to cl- split cleanly, then you have to maintain your own bank account from the start. As soon as he puts money into your bank account, even if it's just a hundred dollars, it's fifty fifty. That yeah. bank account becomes joint. Yeah. So it's like you either have to be separate from the start and keep it separate, or just like go all in, trust your partner, and then if you get divorced, like. You have bigger problems anyway. Yeah. So speaking of marriage, I saw this article on brides.com. <laughs> Did you just scroll through brides.com? No, I was looking for this podcast and I was like, <laughs> 12 questions to ask your partner before marriage. So I thought it would be interesting to get a married person and a not married person's perspective on these questions. What are your financial goals and how can we try to reach them? 
I would know this just while I'm dating them. Yeah, that's definitely something you should talk about. If you don't know your partner's financial goals before marriage, don't get married. You, you gotta well, wait. Well, some people I feel like don't actually like, like we enjoy topically bringing it up and discussing. I would discuss this with anyone. So I think it's different yeah, probably too. If people but, don't like to talk about it, it might be something that they're less hesitant to like bring up randomly. No, but when you're like about to get married, you should know this by now. This is true. Yeah. You read the next one. How can I help you when you're stressed? So I guess like what's your triggers and how do I calm you down? Yeah. Also, I feel like a good thing to know. Am I supposed to be disagreeing or like, like no, I agree? no, okay. just any thoughts you have? I feel like these are things that come up and correct me if I'm wrong. Premarital counseling too, to make sure. But not everyone does. Not everyone does premarital counseling. Yeah, that's not. I'm a proponent of this. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, premarital counseling was honestly great. I we did it at our church, um, and I know that you can do it even if you're not religious at all. Like there are courses you can take, which I highly recommend. But they just make sure that you go through the most important questions and the most important topics about marriage and about what to do when you're not on the same page. And uh, yeah, how can I help you when you're stressed is very crucial. Do you want children? and what would we do if we struggle to get pregnant? So I asked AJ the first one, but we never talked about what we would do if we struggle to get pregnant. Cause that's like such a, a sad thing to think about. Yeah, but sometimes you have to discuss the sad yeah, things no, for you. I, yeah, no, you, you yeah. gotta talk about it. It's just interesting. I know at this point what we would do, we would just adopt, but we didn't talk about this before marriage, which we should have. Wow, is your marriage even real? <laughs> This one we also didn't talk about. What's your communication? No, no, no. This one. What are your expectations around childcare and parenting? Yeah. As in like uh, school? Like I'm, or when they go to school? No, I guess like, is someone going to stay home? Like, are we going to spank them or not? Yeah. Or like, are you going to work? Yeah. Or not as a woman or a man? Yeah. You know, we didn't talk about this either, but at the time I was, he knew that I, at the time wanted to work like a boss babe and just be like (laughs) working all the time. The times had changed. Um, And he was like, yeah, like that's cool. Whatever. (laughs) So yes. (laughs) Uh, Okay. This is a good question for you. What are your deal breakers? Say them now. Deal breakers for what? Like if you met a man and he had all the good things, but he had this one thing that you just couldn't. You're saying this right before you get married? No, like dating. Oh. Like obviously if he wasn't a Christian, you probably, that would be a deal breaker. What are some other deal breakers? That would be the main one. Christian. Yes, that is the only binary, like yes or no one, I would say. I feel like preferences after that. Right. I feel like you would prefer someone who's decently into fitness or athleticism yes i would like them in a perfect world they'd be athletic they would like to be outside like enjoy it going outside doing stuff whatever yeah and then someone who thinks but that thinks <laughs> yeah because i don't necessarily care no so much of like what they do like i'm not like oh they need to be a xyz profession but so much as like they're passionate and they are enjoying it and they think about it like they're willing to think about the world and different yeah. perspectives true true this is another good one how much alone time do you need this i feel like you would figure out while you're dating because you would just kind of figure it out and see like the oh cadence. they like to be yeah. alone this much 24 7 it's so weird <laughs> i never see them but we're getting married tomorrow <laughs> what is your biggest fear we asked each other this it's a true. few weeks ago this is a big one it is because i feel like for men they don't talk about this often so getting this out of them is crucial for a lot of men their biggest fear is not being able to provide for their family or their wife or their whoever they're 
taken care of. For other men similar to women, it could be my biggest fear is feeling left out or unloved. So I feel like your core beliefs are so important to know and you have to know your partner's core belief because that is where all of our negative behaviors stem from. I feel like I would want to know this just about my friends too. Yeah. What was yours again? I don't remember. <laughs> she doesn't even remember my biggest fear. I remember hers. Oh, loneliness. Infertility. Loneliness. Look at that. We know it. Each other's. That no, each other's. no. Infertility is like a, a, a surface level one, but the deeper. Oh, so I went deep and then you gave no, a surface no. level one. No, I said this. The deeper one was feeling like I'm not worthy because of my success and like having, yeah, a, having a kid is part of that success. Wow. <laughs> I'm just being that real. Is, like not being able to conceive would be like a big failure. But also entirely out of your control. I know. So that is... I know. A lot of things are not rational. How do we deal with our in-laws? I really want to get along well with my in-laws. Like, I can't really imagine a world where that wouldn't... Like, I think that would, that would be... Talking about deal breakers, they would have to get along well with my family. Extended family to, like, just fit in. Or not not necessarily fit in, but not... Like, they would want to hang out with them. You know what I mean? They wouldn't want to not hang out with them. That would be important yeah, to me. Yeah, but I feel like that's very ideal and it would be great but i feel like a lot of in-laws like for example your parents and your husband's parents them like being together is a rare occurrence oh, anyway. i agree but i'm saying it would be a preference so you would it want would be, them to it's be important like, to me you would want them to be like so integrated where like they're at christmas and they're at know, they don't have to be but i don't want it to be like if they well not i mean the level of my parents and their parents that's like you know icing on the top but not like necessarily yeah. more like me getting along with them and then him getting along with mine but that if they did not get along well with my family that would be i guess the deal breaker because i want everyone to hang out yeah so <laughs> i need everyone to hang out that's what i need <laughs> what are your fantasies surrounding marriage oh so like unrealistic expectations perhaps or something or like so what it says is like nightly home-cooked meals weekly date nights regular travels acting as a unit in social situations so like if the man is like no i want i like envision my wife cooking every night like that would be important to talk about <laughs> Oh, I just had something really exciting I wanted to say, but what? When you said weekly travels, that is something I'm most looking forward to while being married is being like, hey, do you want to go somewhere for the weekend? And then just go. Yeah. We've only done that like once in our marriage, which is so sad because I truly want to do that too. But when it comes down to it, we're like, oh, should we go to like Palm Beach and spend like $700? Like at the end of the day, we're just so too practical to the point where we're like, nah, like I know, it's but fine. I would spend money on traveling. Like I would be like, okay, so this weekend I just found tickets to Phoenix and you want to go and we'll go hike just for like 48 hours and we'll come back and they'll be like, sure. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And that's something I would totally do. Yeah. That sounds fun. See, you should do it. What are your expectations on sex? This that is would a good be very one. important. That's very important. But also if you're waiting until marriage to have sex, then you may not know. But that's why it's important to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, if oh, you you're, not know what to ask. You, you may not know like how often you end up wanting it or not wanting it. Well, I think that's because where you, you haven't experienced yeah. it. I think like the going to counseling in this situation where there's someone who's talked to a bunch of people, you Mature, know what I mean? So yeah. they can ask different questions to know like, okay, even if you guys haven't, these are the type of questions you should be asking because they just know themselves. Yeah. And I think there should be a long period of grace after you get married if you are waiting because I feel like it takes a while to get into your routine and just like understand what is happening and like oh yeah how is this gonna work and like I actually like it I don't like it I don't like this I don't like that so just 
give yourself like six months of everyone has very out. different <laughs> responses post this of all my married friends it's very also interesting to hear the oh, yeah post everyone's got different that's true stories. everyone is so different <laughs> so are people going into marriage just like not asking each other these questions i know some people who like are and please don't take this the wrong way but they like call themselves christians but they don't like live out the words of the bible and one of the person in the relationship <laughs> literally said like i believe in marriage but at the same time like i'm open to divorce and so it's like okay that's good to know that's important to know that you are committed to the marriage but at some point like you are also okay with a divorce because some people are and some people aren't so it's important to know that how far how how deep into the struggle of marriage are you willing to go i think that's just a fundamental difference of the definition of marriage there i agree All right, so that was a long intro, but basically the main topic for today is finding contentment. Something we do so, so poorly. (laughs) (laughs) It's the year of contentment for me, and I feel like for a lot of people, we just got to learn how to be happy with what we have. That doesn't mean you're not striving for more, but just... (laughs) Just chilling, just enjoying life. Rachel wrote, what are some areas in your life that you want to be more content with? And my response was literally everything. <laughs> so, For me, I think the number one on my mind is always money. Like I always want more, not even because I'm not happy with what I have, just because I, I just, I guess I have that core belief that the more money you have, the more successful you are. And I'm actively trying to kill that. Uh, this week I had dinner with one of my bosses and he has a lot of money like he could easily retire kind of thing right and i'm talking with him i got a little meta at one point this guy's like way older than me and he was talking to me about how much he values time and traveling and i said if you value time the most then why don't you just retire like what yeah. essentially like what is the meaning of life like why are you doing this and he was like well he made a joke at first he's like first of all i can't hike every day because he that's what he would do if he retired he's like i'm too old now and he said secondly you never have enough money you'll learn that quickly and i was like whoa yeah. that is a fundamental difference that we have but also very telling when you hear it you're like oh i've never heard it just explicitly told like, to me yeah that is and he has like way more than most people ever have in their lives and could easily just be done and live his life and i was like but he feels whoa. like he doesn't have enough yeah and he's a very like not even egotistical like very chill man like he just likes to travel that's what he spends his money on he's very simple he's not even like buying fancy things Mm -hmm. i was taken aback (laughs) (laughs) wow uh another thing would be relationships so let me think what did i mean by this I wrote this like a while ago. Probably like, wow, I'm not hanging out with Anna enough. I really wish I could spend more time with her. I need to be less content. Oh, I guess, I guess this is like not every relationship in your life is going to be 100% fulfilling. Like we talked about in our friendship episode, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. People have issues with me that I don't even know. So just being content with the people you have and cherishing them for their flaws and for their positive aspects because humans are are just meant for connection and no one's perfect. I would agree with that. (laughs) Basic concept. Oh, okay. I also meant by this some people who are single may be not content in their singleness is that a question no i think it's a a statement like i feel like some it's a fact some people who are single are not content some people are some people aren't and in the same way for someone who's going through infertility they are experiencing that absenteeism of that person that they want in their life so they don't have a child they want a child they don't this person doesn't have a husband they want a husband whatever situation you are in life i believe 
believe that these two situations bring almost the same emotion, even though they're different situations. They both bring a sense of incompleteness to that person's life. So someone who's single may say, oh, if I just had a husband, I would be happy. And then let's say two years later, they have a husband. And now they say, if I just had a kid, I would be happy. But it's like, you don't even remember where you were two years ago. That's exactly what we're talking about. The lack of contentment. Yeah. Like you conquer one thing and then you feel, you don't realize you have what you were just looking for. Now you're looking for the next thing. Like we yeah. you don't appreciate it. So it, it brings the question, are humans ever content? Are we ever satisfied? That's what we will answer today. And that is, that is the goal. <laughs> Another example Uh, about money, a big CEO millionaire who just lost a big client may feel the same depressive emotions as a person making $50,000 a year who just lost their job. The situation of the $50,000 person is much more dire, but the emotions of the two people in that moment are likely almost identical. So the CEO who lost a big client is still a millionaire. He's going to be fine, but it's the same like punch in the gut as someone who just lost their lower paying job, even though the person who lost their job could potentially like not be able to pay his bills. But if you never have enough money, it's crazy that even if you have a lot of money, that doesn't mean you're happy. Money does not equal happiness. I think that is very true. And neither does having a family as yes. As in like needing kids or saying, or just in general. Yeah. Like I'm trying to expand it beyond money. Like, yeah. Even in the Whatever example. Whatever we want is never actually going to be fulfilling. Correct. So whether you value success, aka money, or family, aka relationships and connection, no matter what you have, how much you have of it, there will always be a lack. So there's always more you can do. Always la la la. Wow, we're just spinning up this perfect, we better have a solution, <laughs> otherwise we're just going down a rabbit hole of depression. So it begs the question, are humans ever content? Are we subject to being a certain amount of unhappy in any situation? For example, we pray for something, feel anguish during the waiting period, and eventually receive it and feel happy. But soon we start praying for something else and feel the same anguish we felt previously. And it begs the question, is the cycle never ending? Is human suffering constant? Suffering post-fall, so like when sin enters the world, is for sure always going to be present because sin is present post-fall. So we will never have a pure so, life until uh, heaven. What is post-fall? That's a very Christian-y exactly. term. So I'm getting there. Post-fall as in, if you believe in the Bible, the world was perfect at the inception, at Genesis, and then sin entered the world, which would be the fall, and then post-fall, so post-sin entering the world, the world will never be perfect. So when Eve ate the apple that God told her not to eat, that's when sin entered the world and completely defiled the perfect union that God had with his creation. Exactly. So in that sense, we'll never, like, we're never going to make the world perfect during this lifetime. Mm -hmm. So it will always be there. So the next question is, you know, okay, well, what does that mean for us? Like, so this sounds depressing. I feel like the prayer definition that a lot of people think of is like God is like a vending machine where you ask and you get, you ask and you get, but really that's one aspect of prayer, but it's not even the main purpose of prayer. Like the main purpose of prayer is communion with God and talking to him. And Mm -hmm. part of that is, you know, asking for a request, but Mm -hmm. that's not even the main part I had growing up. I learned this acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S. And the first one is, which is be like an example structure of prayer. So like A is adoration, 
distribution wise too it's largely adoration which is just you know praising god yeah so i learned this too so when you start a prayer you have to start with adoration praising god god you're so wonderful you are so powerful you are so just you are so merciful i realized that when you start that way it really just puts things into perspective and you're like wow god is so big he's so mighty and like my problems are nothing compared to like his strength yeah exactly and like and that's what we are here to do is to praise him Right. So that's, like you said, setting them perspective too. And like the C would be confession. So then coming forward with your own sins and transgressions that you have. Asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Forgive me for gossiping. Forgive me for pride. Forgive me for selfishness. It doesn't have to be like I murdered someone or I stole from the store. It's small things. Like, yeah. Forgive me for re- for being ungrateful. Forgive me for being uncontent this week. Help me to be better, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. And then thereafter, in contrast, is Thanksgiving for tea. So thanking God for everything that we have. Yes. And this is like 90% of the prayer, like all these three things. And the last little piece is supplication, which is asking for requests. And we should ask for requests. That's not like to belittle that. It's just that of the large screen, like God is not there to just, you know, we make him our slave if we're only asking him for things. Exactly. And I think by having this as the last item in your prayer it really kind of makes you sometimes not ask for what you were intending to ask for. Like if you were intending to ask for a million dollars, by the time you do adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, you probably change your mind and you're like, you know what, God, I pray that your will be done. I pray that if you choose to bless me with more money, that I would be wise with it. And it kind of just changes your mindset. Yeah. Goes in the same thread of contentment. Like you said, like we just, yeah, we're getting to that phase. And at the end, you kind of were like, oh, you just reframe your life, your current situation. So that is the biblical standpoint, but I wanted to do a non-biblical standpoint because I know a lot of listeners are not religious, which is totally fine. Everybody has different beliefs. So I wanted to bring out an evolutionary standpoint that I thought was really interesting. So this is from theconversation.com and I'm going to read it. Humans are not designed to be happy or even content. Instead, we are designed primarily to survive and reproduce like every other creature in the natural world. A state of contentment is discouraged by nature because it would lower our guard against possible threats to our survival. That is really interesting to me because whether you believe in the Bible or not, or whether you're an atheist, either way, like whichever one you believe, the answer is no. Humans are not meant to be content 100% of the time. They're not meant to be self-fulfilled 100% of the time. There's always going to be a greater struggle going on in the background, whether it's the fall of man and sin and suffering being constant until Jesus comes back, or whether it's evolutionary and that you're just not made, you're just not wired that way. Uh, you're, You're wired to just survive and reproduce and that's it. I have some thoughts on this. Go ahead. So I think from like, we need to distinguish between like progress and contentment because I think you can always be progressing and from an evolutionary standpoint, becoming, having a higher genetic pool that's more successful. Mm Mm-hmm but you can also be content at the same time. So you can both progress and be content. I'm reading this book right now by this guy who created Linux, which is this um, operating system. But anyway, he, at the very beginning, he's a really smart guy and he talks about his meaning of life in like a joking way because he's just like a computer science guy. But I think it's very applicable to right here. And it goes, there are motivational factors for everything in your life, for anything that you do or any other living thing that does. The first is survival, the second is social order, and the third is entertainment. And then he goes on to talk about how evolutionary, like at first you're surviving, right? Mm -hmm. And then we get, now we figured out how to survive. Like from a human standpoint, we have the industrial revolution, right? So we Mm -hmm. have excess amount of food and time on our hands. And then you start to worry about social order. So Mm -hmm. 
Like now I'm worried about what you're thinking, la 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 la. From that standpoint, we're still progressing and we're never content, but like we're still keep going down the line. And then the third one is entertainment, which is the right. ultimate level of you just get to choose what you want to do. Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the the idea though is that, you know, you can be content in any of those situations, but still be progressing from one phase to the next. Right. So I think they can coexist. Yeah, I think it's possible, but I think because of sin, and I'm coming from a religious standpoint, because of sin, there will always be something that we're not 100% content with, which is just the case that it's going to be like that until we get to heaven, because in heaven, everything will be perfect. There won't be any sin. It will be contentment. Uh, We will be in perfect communion with the Lord. And until we reach that state, um, it's okay to accept that there will be suffering constantly. I agree. But so would you agree that you can feel loved right now in this world? Yes. Then I think we can also feel content right now in this world. I think we can. I just am saying that we will never be perfect in that. Okay. I would agree. You don't have perfect emotions until... We will always have ebbs and flows. We'll have good days and bad days. But I think it's important to not beat ourselves up for the bad days because it's literally impossible to be 100% content for throughout our entire life. That's just the nature of suffering. Well, the nature of sin being present in the world. So yeah, Paul from the Bible, who is the main predecessor of Christ in terms of like spreading the gospel. So he's this guy in like the early 80th century, whatever. And he is having a rough life. Like he's brilliant guy, but also is also like in charge of spreading the gospel amongst a ton, huge pagan world, right? So he's got a hard situation. He's gone through a lot of suffering to say the least. And yet in the Bible, he is talking about how content he is. So to me, it's like it has to be able to coexist. If we accept the Bible as truth, then this man who's going through suffering is also equally as content. So there has to be a way in which they can both be there. Yep. My only point is that we're not perfect. Correct. So yeah, exactly. So I'm saying like the ratio is always up and flowing, like you said. But yeah. To think that, because I think some people think you can't be entirely. You can be, but not entirely. That's my point. Entirely, Correct. Entirely meaning 100% yeah, yeah. all the time. Okay. Here's a quote from John Bon Jovi. Anytime that you think you've hit the top of the mountain, the truth of the matter is you've just reached another mountain and it's there to climb all over again. Just a quote from your favorite singer. (laughs) Okay, so throughout life and even in modern day, there's two kind of general philosophies one can take, both in regards to contentment, but also just to life in general. And one of the ways in which you could find that your lifestyle would be like stoicism, which claims imperturbability, I don't know how to say that word, um, is the only way to get there in terms of, if you believe in stoicism, the only way you can get to contentment is to completely just realize that you have no control over your external circumstances, aside from your personal attitude towards it. Then once you realize that you can't control anything, only control your feelings then you just train yourself to have inner peace with what's happening around you and be unbothered because the only thing you can control is you that's interesting very interesting thought that is so good for someone like me who thinks that they can control everything stepping back and realizing that you actually can only control a small percentage of things and the other things you can't control you just got to have peace about it so i know that this can be very extreme in the sense of you don't think you have control over anything like the universe just does whatever it wants and then you're just a victim but i think that there's a good balance there (laughs) not to get into like uh i have a rebuttal for each one so don't worry not to get into the presbyterian thing but at what level (laughs) do we think that uh, do you think i don't believe in free will i do believe in free will (laughs) 
No, I guess that would be the point. Like, do some people think that God chooses his people and chooses who to bring to heaven? Or do, do we think that there is a level of free will and you, you, can have you do have control over some things and then other things you don't? You can have both, all of the above. You are entirely in charge. It is in your responsibility and you will go to heaven only based off of your own free will decision. But at the same time, God already knows who is going to go to heaven, who is going to go to hell. We'll get, we'll do a whole podcast on. <laughs> I'm just saying. That doesn't no, necessarily, I, yeah. I agree with everything I'm saying you're saying. You're, I'm just, you think I have to pick and choose and I'm telling you no, all of them exist together. I'm trying to shake you up. I know. <laughs> I, I have, I have fought this battle a lot the last year for all of you guys. So <laughs> let me give you my rebuttal to stoicism and why at least I would reject it and why Paul rejects it. So Paul is no fatalist because believing that God works in and through us to bring about his purpose as stated in Philippians 2.12. So in his perspective, in the biblical perspective, is that like we we are not in control, but there is a God, a loving God who is our father, who is in control of the external circumstances. So that would be why you would not take this extreme fatalistic approach to contentment. Of like, oh, I have no control. Like, there's no purpose to anything. It's just whatever happens, happens. Like, are you saying Paul says, actually, no, because God is the worker of all things and nothing happens without his um, authority. He's and saying that you can't just be claim contentment based off of, I. the only way I can be truly content is based off of feeling because I must reject everything that happens in this world because I have no control over it. Right. He's saying there is a God who is in control. This doesn't just happen randomly. So you cannot just claim contentment based off of lack of control and only sensational. Right. The second main dogma that he was dealing with during his time, and like I said, this also applies to modern day, is Epicurean is the title of it. Um, And it's a balance between pain and pleasure. So you want to minimize the pain and maximize the pleasure. So it's like this optimization problem. It's kind of like what we were just talking about too, like the contentment of like progress, contentment, like pain, pleasure. It's this balancing act. um, But isn't this this saying the Epicurean belief is that pleasure is the ultimate prize? Yeah, in terms of like uh, breaching contentment, you would want to be in a pleasurable state. That would be content. And then pain is the opposite of that. So you're like one extreme is you're fully content when you have pleasure. And the other extreme is you're fully discontent, uncontent when you have pain. Which I guess we would say not 100% true. Correct. So he, they're saying, well, the the whole goal of reaching contentment is just realizing both exist and you just have to balance both and like minimize one as much, minimize the pain, maximize the pleasure. The rebuttal to this, as Paul says, this would lead to ultimate pessimism where you can't get or maintain the pleasure we seek. So what's the point? Like if you can't this is kind of like a works righteousness thing where it's like, oh, if you, it's impossible to maintain, as we said, because there is always going to be, you know, mm-hmm. pain in the world. So then you go like, what is the point? Why? What's even happening? So basically, if the idea is to maximize pleasure in this lifetime, we cannot fully maximize pleasure because that would mean ultimate contentment, which doesn't exist because we are always striving for more pleasure, more success, whatever it is. So yeah. the idea of maximizing pleasure is just illogical because because it's impossible. Correct. Well, yeah, because like you said, we live in an imperfect world, so it would lead to a pessimistic route, and there is no room for such pessimism within the doctrines of Christianity. Interesting. So the this, I got most of this from an article, which maybe we'll link or something. <laughs> I didn't come up with this by my own, but I thought it was really helpful. So obviously, Paul was neither, Paul being the perspective we're trying to defend here, uh, he was neither of these approaches, but this is like what he was going against and also what we were going against. And so for Paul, it was not complacency and it was not a condition, contentment that is. Paul's uh, contentment pertained to his personal circumstances and the state of his human condition, whether he suffered lack 
or enjoyed material prosperity. He had learned to be content wherever God placed him. This is in Philippians 4.12. Note that this was something he learned. It was not a natural gifting, but something he had to be taught, which I thought was very interesting because, you know, we want to be just good out of the bat, but it's like, no, this is a learned thing. Like we're not, yeah. we go through life learning all of these things, but like learning how to be content. So we shouldn't be able to be just turn it on and be sad if we aren't content this year. Like our year yeah. of contentment should really be a lifetime like struggle to strive for it yeah so just to recap the first idea was stoicism and the second idea was epicureanism is that the proper way epicureanism okay just in case anyone wants to research that i have my little synopsis thought on uh how we actually can be content then okay i think and at least the writer of the article and Paul's opinion would agree that our source of contentment is grounded in union with Christ. And it's not so much like an approach to life rather than the key to understanding life itself. Like that is union with Christ is ultimate contentment, which yeah. I realize is obviously very exclusionary for non-Christians, but maybe that's why it seems so fleeting. Like I'm not, right. I, don't really, I know we have a mixed audience, but I have a very hard time speaking about some things that are so obviously like based in faith. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you guys let us know, do you want a whole episode on like, what is faith? What does it even mean to be a Christian? Like, how do you become a Christian? Even if you're not like looking to become one just to kind of learn what is the thing that we're talking about all the time that's true yeah let us know we kind of just say our own thoughts but there's a lot of uh, background with each yeah what are some things that you do anna during your day to increase contentment is and don't say read the bible we already know that I have been journaling. Okay. Logging, I think, is more appropriate. It's not so much emotions, so much as like, this is what happened in my life. Yeah, exactly. Accumulation of yeah. data. <laughs> if I ever get subpoenaed, I always have like proof of where I was, what happened, exactly. <laughs> like, the book says I was here right then. Anyway, I've done this for a really long time. Like, really? every single day. So what do, you, what do you write? Like, an example. Like, like today la- I had like waffles. Last night I said, last night I was like, uh, work today, had a really difficult conversation at work, went on a run with my friend, went to youth night, lots of fun, came home, went to bed. That's it. Interesting. That is so cool. I've done it since eighth grade. I have <gasps> volumes of books. Are you kidding Nothing. me? How did I not know this yeah. about you? I thought you did know it about me. I didn't know this was shocking. You know, this is interesting because if you do get subpoenaed, it's not like, oh, she did this Correct. for the last six months. No, 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 it's like, she's been doing this for six 13 years. 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. Like, this is legit. That's yeah. insane. I have like a stack of moleskin journals. My last year of college, like three years ago, my mom got me this little journal that's a five-year daily journal. And it's like each page has five sections and it's for like January 1st. And then it's for each year. So 2020, oh, 2025. that's crazy. So now I double dip where like each night I have to write in my journal in terms of like the one that's going back to eighth grade. So I write what happens. And then I also go and write what happened that day in my daily journal. Now the daily journal, the five-year one, allows for much more like looking back at the past because like yeah. last night, for example, I read what happened January 28th for the last, I'm on my fourth year now. So like what happened in the last four years. And it's a really good approach to learn about yourself and your fears and what used to like worry you Mm -hmm. and also like answer prayers and then contentment in terms of like, wow, if I could just, you know, just move here or just get this job Mm -hmm. or just like figure out this friendship and stuff like that. And then it's, and then you look back and you're like, wow, that happened, but I was not happy afterwards either. Or like, oh wow, I'm doing the same thing just three years later and it's a different person. It's a different job. It's a different whatever, you know, something like that. I would hundred percent agree. That's something I wrote down too, is journaling and looking back at previous years to see how, like you said, how you've been struggling and how God answered your prayers and how you're always still looking for the next thing. It's just, 
it's a good reminder. Um, another thing that AJ does that I kind of do in a different way now is he watches those criminal investigation YouTube channels. It'll be like a 40 minute video and that person will be like documentary style telling you about this crazy criminal. Are they well done? Uh, like yeah, a TV they're, show? they're well oh, yeah. done. And then they'll tell you like how this person was like brutally murdered or like something crazy. So that is just always a good reminder of like, damn, like the world is crazy. I'm so privileged to be safe. I'm so privileged to have a house or an apartment and just like not die. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What I do is I don't listen to those videos, but I listen to this podcast called Terrible. Thanks for asking. Yeah. You like the relative approach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I also, so that podcast is basically a host brings on a guest every week and that guest tells them a terrible story. My husband died or I have cancer or like I became paralyzed or something tragic. And it's just such a beautiful picture of how tragedy does not define you or it it can't, if you don't let it define you, it can't define you. And how um, at the end of the episode, you're just like, wow, like I'm so grateful for what I have. And if I ever find myself in a terrible situation, it's a reminder that that doesn't mean I'm gonna necessarily die or be suicidal. Like there are ways to work through terrible things. Yeah, it's like proof of concept of someone else has been through worse and survived kind of thing. Yeah. And how grateful I should be for my life. Yeah. Another thing I'm doing is reading thrillers. Um, pretty dark ones, too. Back to the grind. Um, especially about women in danger always just snap me back into reality. In college, when Rachel and I were becoming friends, this was like really two weeks into our friendship or whatever. She's like, let's do a book exchange. She's like, okay. So I gave her some books and she gave me like five and literally all of them were the same exact <laughs> theme. And I enjoyed it. It was just really funny. It's like, yep, there's the, that's the theme. Yeah. The that, genre. That just works for me. I know for some people um, that doesn't work, but there's just my advice. Oh, it makes you grateful that you're yeah. not imprisoned in a house in the woods or something. Yeah, right now. Okay, right now. <laughs> I'm reading this book called The Butterfly, Butterfly Garden. Oh, you're reading that? You read it? No, but I keep, it's like, I also enjoy this genre a lot and I just haven't read them recently, but every time I'm looking, cause I struggle to find the next entertaining one. So uh-huh. it's a good thing you're on this. You can give me recommendations, but that one keeps coming up. Yeah. When so I, look I looked up. up the best thrillers on Kindle unlimited, which is like a $10 a month subscription. You get like a million books. Sponsor so us. <laughs> this one came up, but it's about this crazy guy who kidnaps women or girls, young girls, and he tattoos butterflies all over their back. And then like it makes them live in this beautiful garden with like glass walls, of course. And basically like it's a torture. It's like a benevolent kidnapping yeah. situation. What was the word again that we couldn't figure out? Stockholm syndrome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Someone commented it. It was it. I'm only like 30% of the way through, but it's so interesting. So uh, uh, you I'll let you know Kindle if it's reader good. when they go 30% of the way through. <laughs> so I feel like we are uh, pretty apodictic on this subject Frick. you guys are pretty apodictic after listening to this i don't even remember what it means not to go to the top you guys are apodictic in the subject of contentment you're you're pros now to go tackle the world well, um did we clearly establish it beyond dispute though i think so i think we we fully answered the question are humans ever content the answer is nope well yes <laughs> I can't argue. It's a gro- it's can't a learned, argue with my logic. It's a learned process. It's so a learned in that process. Sense, we are always learning. Always learning, but we'll yes. never be fully content in this world. And that's a wrap. Enjoy the rest of your weeks. Happy Saturday. Actually, it's going to be pretty <laughs> <not a> short. <laughs> it's going to be pretty short, I think, Why? based on my judgment. So let's answer an advice email. 
Ooh, going in unprepared. You guys didn't expect this, I'm sure, because normally we do it at the beginning, but always gotta keep you on your toes. Let's let's do it. Hi, Rachel and Anna. First of all, love your podcast. Thank you. You guys are doing great and keeping it real. Keeping, keeping it, real. it real. Okay, here's my problem. I'm self-employed as a Woo-hoo. freelance bookkeeper. So I do most <laughs> of my work from home. Love good work from home. I think I've bitten off more than I can chew, though, because I have 20-plus businesses I bookkeep for. Well, congratulations. And I also do income tax filing on the side. I'm constantly overwhelmed. I have a hard time saying no. I've never felt caught up in the last two years and I'm at a breaking point. I just turned 26 and I want to figure this out sooner than later. I love my job, my clients, and helping people. Where did I go wrong? And how do I get out of this constant state of overwhelmingness and get caught up? Send help. (laughs) Also, she says, my personality type is ISFJ, which she's What's an introverted? Sensing, feeling, judging. Sensing. Okay, well, first of all, congratulations. It seems like you have a great business that you're going for yourself. You're only 26. This is amazing. I would say, you said, where did I go wrong? I don't think you're going wrong. I think you're doing amazing. And I think you maybe just need to hire some help. Uh, Get an assistant, get an employee who also knows bookkeeping and delegate things to other people. You're at the point where you either stagnate your business and start saying no and just cruise, or you're at the point where you can seriously grow. And if you're at the point where people are asking you to do work for them and you don't have the time, like that is such a good sign. And I don't think that you should say no. I think you should say yes. It's the year of yes, some would say. And just like bring people on and expand. What do you think, Anna? You know, my initial thought was, it's okay to say no, but at the same time, what you just said is actually what I think. No. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, if, unless if, like, you don't want to hire someone else, but I think you have a great problem on your hands, so I think just delegating is the way to feel less overwhelmed and to keep the growth. You know why she doesn't want to say no? Who? Because she's a feeler. Oh. She, well, she's yeah, got that I, I agree. I would not be able to say no to someone asking my business. So I'm this, I would be in the same situation so as you would. So you said, I have a hard time saying no. So really analyze, do you want to actually say no? Or do you just wish you had more bandwidth? She wants to make everyone happy. So she wants to say yes. But at the same time, she'll she'll take their happiness as a priority over her bandwidth. So, so, so no, that's what I'm saying. Like move past that thought. And really ask yourself, do you really want a bigger business? Or are you happy with the level that it's at? If you're happy, then maybe you hire an assistant to just tell people no for you so that you don't have to like (laughs) say no. Um, But if you truly think, no, I I love my job. I want to grow. I want to be, you know, a super boss babe, self-employed person. um, My personality would say just expand. Um, But make sure it's what you really want. Hi, Rachel and Anna. Thanks for the podcast. I'm 23. Oh, I've got a young one. And work work full-time at my current job for 5.5 years now, and I have been greatly taught to be very independent. So So what? Since you were 17 and a half? Is my math correct? Math checks out. Dang, that's a boss babe. (laughs) I don't know. Is she self-employed and works from home? Because that's how you have to be the ultimate boss babe. Period. (laughs) We just watched, um, what's that podcast Chelsea showed us? I don't know. It's I don't like, understand what it's it like, is. It's um, like that girl, Whoa Vicky. I didn't know who she was until Chelsea showed me this video. But that girl, Whoa Vicky, she always says period after everything. So I'm going to start she saying that. She didn't say that. it in the podcast. Yes, she did. Multiple times. Anyways, uh, that personality trait of being independent has become an issue with a friend of mine who in return has become super clingy and finds her identity in me. 
She's super extroverted, whereas I enjoy sleep. I like how those are mutually exclusive. <laughs> And home time. If I ever deny an event, she gets hurt and feels like I'm pushing myself away from her, etc. Long story. How do I be a proper friend to someone who is more of an emotional overthinker and I am not? Context. We go to the same youth and church, so it's not that I don't spend a lot of time with her. I see her multiple times a week for events, etc. Thanks. Yeah, Rachel, how do you be a proper friend to someone who is more of an emotional overthinker than you? Because... That's a current situation. So I guess I would ask you, how close is this friend to you? Is she like your best friend? Is she just like a, an arm's length type of friend? Because if she's your best friend, you really have to work through this and find a solution. If she's like a, a someone you would call an acquaintance, but she thinks like you're her best friend, then you still have to work through it. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I'm I saying. think it just warrants a conversation. It sounds like you just need to pretty much tell her what you just told us. It's not that you don't dis like you don't not value her friendship as much you just need to say hey i'm the type of person who needs more alone time and i appreciate your friendship and think it's just as important but i just need more time to myself and it's not that i don't want to hang out with you it's just that i just need to be home recharging something you can do as a fun activity let's say next time you're hanging out with her so take the myers-briggs personality test together and discuss your results. This is like a roundabout way of letting her know that you are very different from her and that she is not right or wrong and you're not right or wrong. It's just you guys are very different. I found that in college, I had a friend who was very different from me and she would get very emotional like, like you're describing in this email. And once we took the personality test, I'm not saying it solved all of our problems, but it really helped us both understand the other person. And we both made an extra effort to be showing love in the language that the other person wants. So take the personality test. Or just talk about it amongst yourselves and come to the conclusions on your own derivation, yeah. however yeah. you feel inclined. But you both have to make an effort. So you have to make an effort and so does she. And if this girl needs to make the initial approach, because I don't yeah, think yeah, the other yeah. girl realizes it. Of course. So. But just remember, it takes two people. And if one or the other, right. <laughs> if one or the other is not putting in effort, then it's not going to work. Yeah. Rachel has a very like, it's got to be both ways or it's axed. So... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hi, Rachel and Anna. I need a career advice. I have been working at the same company for almost four years now. I'm a budget officer at our finance division. They're nice. My job is to help my boss budget the company's money. I've been doing fine until my boss, direct supervisor, transferred to another company. And so I was left with his work, which should technically be trans transition to his boss or the chief of the division. But the chief does not really know that much about the job. <laughs> so I'm last year. do everything on my own. Now I'm acting as an officer in charge, but with no additions to my salary. Rip. I've been waiting for them to hire a new supervisor, but it's taking so long. It's probably you're doing your job really well, which is a good thing. Anyways, it's been more than six months already. Although I was given an assistant to help me while they are hiring for my ex-boss's replacement, I'm still so stumped with work. Like, I've come to the point that I get so anxious on the way to work, to work every day, because I think about everything I have to do, and they're asking me top management kind of questions, and I honestly don't know what I to do, and there are times that I take my work home because I can't finish it in the office. I've been working overtime with no pay to. I'm so stressed. Should I leave or should I just wait for them to hire a new boss for me? Thank you. You're welcome. Done. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. The problem is you sound like you're a really good worker. So in their mind, they keep putting off the hiring because you're able to do the work. And business, just, yeah, business wise, it makes sense for them to keep working you to the bone. 
until you complain because they're saving money and the work's getting done and the business is thriving. That's not to say to not do your job well either though. That's the, that's the catch 22 of it all. Cause you want to, cause you obviously like it's crushing you. So you need to tell them this is not what you expected and that you're very stressed and that you can't keep up with the current situation. Then if you aren't going to make a decision soon, then there's going to need to be some changes. I think you have leverage here because you're doing their, you're doing your boss's job, probably the same quality of good or if not better at a cheaper rate. So you have all the leverage in the world, especially in this economy. I'm assuming you're in the US. And so I would say take that leverage to your boss and say, look, something needs to change. I either need to be compensated fairly for what I'm working or I need to stop doing all this work. And then they're gonna give in because it seems like you're a great employee. So don't be scared to kind of show your muscles a little bit. Yeah, I agree. You have the leverage. I would say, it sounds like you're going to say something either way. And I think if you really like your job, I would at least start with the approach of let's make changes. And yeah. then you have in your back pocket, okay, I'm out. Yeah, you've, d- you've been doing it for six months. So it's not like it's three weeks in and you're yeah. overwhelmed. No, it's like you put in work, good faith for six months. They should honor that loyalty and that grind and that hustle that you've been doing for no extra pay. And so. they, are, they give you an assistant too, which makes me think they're not making it super priority to get, to get your replacement or yeah. like your boss's replacement. Yeah. They did like a little patch fix and then slipped you with that extra work. <laughs> and we're like, oh, she'll just get their he will, whatever it is, just get the job done. So you'll, yeah. it doesn't matter. We'll maybe, look at it later. Maybe you're at that point where it's like, okay, I feel like I should be in my boss's position. Like, That's true. You could ask for like ask top for management promotion. training and stuff like that. Um, but even if you don't necessarily want to ask for a title change, just be like, listen, like I don't necessarily want to be the boss here, but something has to change, you know, make it seem like you don't really want it and that they need to like work for you. Yeah. Work to make you happy. I'm impressed. Congrats though. I feel like. I know we got two boss babes here. Two boss babes. Three if you include yourself, but not And one babe whose friend is too clingy. (laughs) (laughs) And emotional, the worst kind of people. There's freaking feelers out there running around (laughs) spreading their feelings like it's the plague. Okay, well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was one of the most deeper ones. One of the more deeper ones we ever did. I'm like getting really into the podcast. Oh, yeah? To the point where if you said we're done, I would say, okay, I'm going to stop you're gonna start your own wow if you said you didn't want to do it like i probably would keep doing it wow not i've converted her um, because at first she was like situation at first she was like yeah i'll do it i guess (laughs) i was like okay i knew i would really enjoy it i just didn't know how much liberty i was going to be given and since i have kind of unlimited well i didn't know i didn't want to feel like you know it's your brand so i didn't want to change it or impose different stuff or whatever so yeah make sure you leave a good review so she gets encouraged please otherwise i'm gonna be super depressed go home Otherwise, she's quitting. She's gonna quit. I'm quitting the podcast. I'm asking for a raise. (laughs) Screw this 50 50 split where I get zero of the work. (laughs) For real. No, you're not getting half the money. So, what? (laughs) You guys know the anchor ad that plays before the show? Yeah. Every episode? Yeah, yeah. That Anna works so hard to do. I I put so much effort into it. Um, I think we made like what? Since the beginning of the podcast, we made like 80 bucks so far. I check it every day. So, we got $80.27. It's getting to that crucial point where we have so much money so much that i need to decide how much to pay anna so uh, excuse me we agreed <laughs> going in on numbers it wasn't we did ri- not oh we didn't agree on 50 mic. 50 like that's 100 percent not fair 
Unless oh, you start, she is taking unless, back her words. Unless, no, the split was clearly 50-50. Unless you start editing or like something. No, no. Rachel does a lot more of the work than I do. She does the editing. I just show up and speak. Let's be honest. Everything else Rachel does. So imagine that world, right? But imagine a world where I don't show up and speak. Then, you know, it's, it falls apart. I would still do it. I would so still I do it. So I'm in this great position where I get half of it, but I only bring uh, the words. The wisdom. Guys, no, seriously, this would be hilarious. <laughs> Write a review. No. And in the review put like what percentage you think anna should get of the if 80 of the 80 or 51 percent oh. then i'm canceling you <laughs> so clearly bring all of the wisdom that's true i can't argue with that see she agrees Alrighty, guys uh see you next time bye have a great saturday <laughs>